Morning. If you would turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Once again, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you welcome it, not at word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, for which also effectively works in you who believe. It is great to see you today. I'm glad that you're here with us. Again, we have many who are traveling away and about. We want to continue to keep them in our prayers. Just be quite candid with you this morning. I was given a topic to present next week at Bible camp, the Lord willing, where Julie and I and the boys will be in Missouri. The topic is imitate the church. I'm being candid with you because not always do we tell you that what we've worked up is something that somebody else has requested of us to do. And sometimes we as preachers like to kick the tires, so to speak, and we might try it out and see how it sounds. Now, I put this together, and I want you to think about it with me, because next week at Bible camp, the, the campers are talking about and learning about the word imitate. And so some speakers will be talking about imitating God, Ephesians 5.1. Others will be talking about the need to imitate Christ, as Paul said he did in 1 Corinthians 11 in verse 1. Others will be talking about imitating Paul, as Paul told them to do uh, there in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, and again in chapter 11 and verse 1. And to finalize the week, uh, I will be speaking, and Julie will be doing a discussion as well, of imitating the church. And so I received this, this topic, and I'm looking at it, and I'm wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to approach this particular topic? Do you approach this particular subject by looking at things like the organization of the church and imitating the church in her worship and imitating the church in her entrance into uh, that body? How do you approach the subject of imitating the church? And so I went to a good friend and I said to my good friend, how would you approach the subject? And Brother Mike said, why don't you just stay in 1 Thessalonians? His suggestion was, why don't you just stay and see what 1 Thessalonians has to say about the church? And I know that some of you, with Brother Mike's leading the class, have been looking at 1 Thessalonians and have spent some time in that book. But what I'd like to do this morning is to just stay in 1 Thessalonians and see what 1 Thessalonians has to say concerning the church of Christ. What is the, the 1 Thessalonians, what does Paul have to say here about imitating the church what are qualities that we find in 1 Thessalonians that we would do well to imitate? Now, you understand that when we're talking about imitate, and it's found there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 14, you'll also find it in chapter 1 and verse number 6, followers of us, the New King James says, but that's the same word in the original language. And what we're talking about is the idea of mimicking. I have reached a point in my life where I will watch, if I have time, I will watch a movie where I can just kind of space out and zone out, but I don't have a lot of time to do that, and I don't take a lot of pleasure in watching those kinds of movies anymore. Now, if I'm going to spend time watching a movie, I want to learn something from it. And so I like those movies that are based uh, documentaries on real events 
or movies that are based on true events. I've kind of reached that point in my life. I don't know if you're there or not, but I can appreciate an actor studying the life of somebody that they want to portray on the screen. And I can appreciate that, that when you see, what they want you to do is when you see them on the screen, that you're actually seeing the person that they're portraying. And that's the idea of what Paul is talking about. It's, it's an impersonation. I want you to mimic, imitate, impersonate the church and the qualities that are outlined here. But where I want to start with is simply the church. Now, I want you to think about this congregation there in Thessalonica. And I want you to go back with me to its beginning in Acts chapter 17. Because here we get a little foundation of where we're going to be as we get into 1 Thessalonians itself. And this idea of what Paul says, imitating the church. Her beginning is found in Acts chapter 17. And the Bible tells us there, beginning in verse 1, that when they, that is Paul and Silas, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, to them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating, proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, verse 5 says, they took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city, and when they heard these things, so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now there is the start of the congregation of the Lord's church in Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 17, the first nine verses. Paul was there, the Bible says, for three Sabbaths. He is there for three weeks. And in that three weeks, he is able to persuade, through the preaching of the Scriptures, he is able to persuade a great multitude to be converted to Christ. And this congregation is started in Thessalonica. And, and the, as Luke is recording these events in Acts, he says that this congregation in Thessalonica is made up of some Jews, but there is a great multitude of Greeks, a great multitude of Gentiles, both men and women alike, are in this congregation. And so we see its beginning. As you continue through Acts chapter 17, you'll see that Paul and Silas are kicked out of the city of Thessalonica and they make their way down to Berea. And you can look this up on a map and find it. But they're, they're forced into Berea, or they go to Berea, and from there, Paul is going to go by himself over to Athens and then will make his way down into Achaia to the city of Corinth. And so he works his way down the coast from Macedonia, where Thessalonica is, he works his way down the coast, and he comes to the city of Corinth, and Luke says he's going to stay there for a year and a half. It is from Corinth that he will write to these brethren in Thessalonica. And he will find that they are doing well, that they are remaining faithful. 
Timothy has gone to Thessalonica and brings Paul word when he is in Corinth of how they are doing. And Paul, as he writes 1 Thessalonians, is encouraged by the news he has received of their faithfulness. That's the beginning of the congregation in Thessalonica, and that's a backdrop of this letter that we find here that Paul is going to write. Now, I just want to begin by looking at what 1 Thessalonians has to say about these who are in a right relationship with God. Point number one, a right relationship with God. I want to imitate the church, and the church are those who are in a right relationship with God. How do I know that? Well, as I survey 1 Thessalonians, I see words that just seem to jump off the page that describe this relationship that God shares with these people. For example, let's look at five of these together quickly. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse number 4. He calls these people beloved brethren, and he says, talks to them about their election by God. Number one, these are God's elect people. These elect These are God's chosen. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. They're in a right relationship. They are the elect of God. Uh, Similar to this, they are the called of God. And in chapter 5 and verse number 24, they are, again, called or chosen. As he who calls you is faithful, he will also do it. They're the elect of God. Similar to that term elect, again, is the word chosen or called. And some of your translations are going to use words like that. And so these are those who receive the teaching from God's word, and they obey him, and they are called his elect. They were not randomly selected by God from the beginning of time, as if they had no choice in the matter. But to those who saw the evidence provided by Paul from the scriptures, they obeyed what Paul was saying from the scriptures, And they are God's elect. They're part of this called out body, the church. Number two, also there in chapter 1 and verse 4, you see that they're called beloved brethren. Now don't you want to be in a relationship where God would look at you as one of his beloved? That is a a term that denotes a right relationship. You are my beloved. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verses 22 down through verse 33, where he refers to the church as Christ's what? Bride. Beloved. You're my people that I, I love, that I have a special and unique relationship with. You are the beloved of God. Now, don't you want to be found there? Don't you want to be in that relationship? You're, you're God's elect. You are God's beloved. Look at verse number 10. Here's another term. To wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Those who are in the church are those that God has delivered. Maybe put it a different way. They're his rescued. Now, isn't that nice to hear? You can be a part of this body that belongs to Jesus, his church, referred to here as those that God has rescued. Rescued from what? Rescued from his wrath to come. Paul would talk about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
You see, wrath is reserved for those who do not know God and those who don't obey the gospel of Christ. But those who are in the church have been rescued from that outcome. They've been delivered from the wrath that is to come. Of interest, that word delivered or rescued that you find there in chapter 1 and verse 10 in your Bible is a present tense verb, which means God continually delivers you. He continually rescues you. Those who are in the church. I want to find myself there, don't you? That's where I want to be. I want to be where God's elect are. I want to be where his beloved are. I want to be where his rescued are. Simply put, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Those who are in the church are the sanctified of God, the set-apart ones, his saints, his elect, his beloved, his rescued, his saints. And finally, in chapter 5 and verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Those who are in this church that we're to imitate are saved. That's where the saved are found. That's where those who have obtained salvation, that's where they are found. And so this church that Paul says, I I want you to be a part of, I I want you to imitate, he says, this is who they are. They are God's elect They are God's beloved. They are God's rescued. They are His saints. They are His saved. That's where I want to find myself. I want to be in that relationship. I want God to look at me that way. And so that's the church that I'm looking for, you see? I don't want any part of man's church. I want to find that congregation. I want to find that church. I want to find the Lord's church that he is describing here. Those who are in the church are those who obtain salvation. The Lord adds to his church those who are saved. Acts 2 and verse 47. And so if Paul says imitate the church, it isn't hard to see why I would want to be a part of that church or you, right? And so that's what we're looking for. That's the one that we need to find. And I need to be reminded that God can look at me as part of this church because of his son. So, I begin with that phrase, imitate the church, and I begin by looking at the church. Now, how did those in Thessalonica come to be in that church? Point number two is, after looking at these who are in a right relationship with God, they get that way by having a right relationship with his word. The word is emphasized throughout 1 Thessalonians. Their reception of the word. The word is emphasized in Acts chapter 17, right? Paul arrived and he went into the Sabbath and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Jesus is the Christ. You see it? And so the scriptures are emphasized in Acts chapter 17 and the scriptures are going to be emphasized throughout 1 Thessalonians. They'll get that stopped here in a minute, I'm pretty sure. I want you to think about what they did with the word, because this is what you and I need to do with the word, okay? Look in chapter 1 and verse 6. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. And you became followers of us, that is, imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel, when the word of God was presented to them, Paul says, you received it. You heard it and you received it. I love that word received because it carries with it the idea of embracing it. You heard it, and you brought it in, you embraced it close to yourself, and you made it your own. Listen to me. They didn't alter it and change it to make it theirs. They simply took what God had provided and took it in to make it their own. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, that's what David would say in Psalm 119. And so we find that they, they took the word of God that was presented to them and they embraced it. They brought it in close to them and they held tightly to it. That's the idea of this receiving the word. What are your feelings about the word of God? All of this has to do with mimicking them. Putting them on. And Paul says, I'm so happy with what you did with God's word. I'm praising you, applauding you for what you did with the word of God. And brethren and friends, what we must do is do what they did to be found in that right relationship with God that we described. But I'm reminding us that they found themselves in that right relationship with God because of what they did when they heard his word proclaimed. They received it. What else to do with it? Well, look at verse number 13 of chapter 2. Philip read for us a moment ago. A couple of things in this one verse. Paul says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which has effectively works in you who believe. You see, what you did, these Thessalonians, what they did is, is they received the word, that is, they heard the word, and they welcomed it. New King James says, your translation might say, they accepted it. They heard the word of God, and they accepted it. They welcomed it. What a great verse for us to think about. And so the idea is that they heard it with their ears, but they did something with it in their heart. They heard it with their ears, but they were willing to obey what it says because of their exception of it, because they accepted it. You see, this is what we're imitating. This is what God finds pleasing. And so we need to be so careful about our handling of the Word of God and our feelings toward the Word of God. And you know how you feel about the Word of God. You need to be honest with yourself because that's number three. They were honest with the Word of God. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They were honest with themselves. They were honest with the word of God. You see, there are too many in our world today who simply are choosing to be dishonest with the word of God. I mean to say, you, you can open your Bible and you can say, you've told me what you've done to be saved, but I can't find it in the pages of God's word. You see, I can't find anywhere where somebody said a prayer to be saved. I can't find it. You say, well, it just really doesn't matter. That's being dishonest, you see, with the Word of God. 
You, you, I say, well, I can't find a man-made denomination. I can't find where anybody was, was a part of a man-made denomination. You say, well, that just really doesn't matter to me. You see, friend, you're being dishonest with the word of God. Whatever we do, we want to be able to find in here. Because whatever they did to be in a right relationship with God, I need to be willing to do to be in a right relationship with God. I need to be honest with the word of God, you see? And so Paul is praising them. And he's telling us even today, imitate, follow this congregation, follow the church that we're reading about. We need to be careful that we do because it is the truth that is going to make us free, John 8 and verse 32. And the word of God is truth, John 17, verse 17. And so we need to be honest with the word. But notice, here's a congregation of people who heard the word of God and received it. They embraced it. And they welcomed it. They accepted it. And they were willing to be honest with the word of God. And so whatever they can see from the word of God, they were willing to do. Well, what do you do with that? What do you do with the word of God when you've received it and you see that Jesus had to suffer, that he is the Christ and all of this has been demonstrated and his blood purchased the church and now you can be a part of that church? Acts 20, verse 28. Well, what they did with the word, fourthly, is they proclaimed it. You see in chapter 1 and verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, that region, uh, region around Thessalonica, uh, and Achaia, that region to the south where Corinth was located, but also in every place. From you the word of God has sounded forth, not only where you are, not only where I am, Paul says, but in every place the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You see, when you hear the word of God and and you've had it proven to you that Jesus is the Christ and that he died to save you from your sin and you can, through the blood of Jesus and your obedience, be found in that church, you can't help but tell somebody else about it. That's what they did. They proclaimed it. Their faith sounded forth. And they weren't shy. And so it appears that there were people from Thessalonica as they were going about their journeys that they were taking the word of God with them and they were sharing it. And it was going into other places. What an example to imitate. You have God's elect, his beloved, his rescued. You have his saints, the ones who are saved, taking his word that they have received, that they have accepted or welcomed, They're taking his word, which they have been honest with, and now they are proclaiming it to the world. That's a congregation to imitate, friends. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we want to be a part of, and that's what we want to do with the word of God. And so, you have this right relationship with God, a right relationship with his word, and it will lead ultimately then to a righteous response. Knowing that you can be in a right relationship with God through your obedience to his will, how are you going to respond to that? I want you to see what Paul praised in these brethren because I want to mimic whatever they did. I want to imitate them. 
I want to imitate God's people that we read about in the pages of the Bible. And so I want you to begin with me in chapter 1 and look at verse number 2 and down through verse number 3. And you'll find what Paul says, I am constantly thanking God for, for concerning you. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering that without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. What's the righteous response by those who are members of this church? Those who are submissive to Jesus, understanding what he has done on the cross to forgive us of our sin? How should we naturally respond? Paul says, I'll tell you what, I'm constantly thanking God for you all concerning Number one, your work of, of uh, faith, your working faith. He said, when I think about you all, I, I think about your faith and how active you are. Now, faith is described for us in Hebrews chapter 11. And throughout Hebrews chapter 11, it's not simply verbally saying, yes, I believe in God, or verbally saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, as it were. But through Old Testament examples, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, I will show you what faith is. By faith, Noah built. Before that, by faith, Abel offered. And you see, they're taking evidence of God's existence and evidence of what he has said and commanded them to do, and they are demonstrating that in their lives. That is faith, my friend. It is accepting what God has said and demonstrating that through obedience in your life. And so Paul says, when I think about you all in Thessalonica, I'm thinking about how active you are in your faithfulness to God. The work that you are involved in. Doing what God has commanded you to do in his word. This was not, listen to me, this was not a congregation who assembled simply out of habit. Well, it's just what I do on Sunday. This is just where I find myself at 10 a.m., on Sundays. It's just my habit. This was not a congregation that assembled out of habit. This was a congregation that gave great thought to their assembly and what they were offering God in worship and praise. This was not a congregation that cared little about God and cared little about His Word. This was not a congregation that only thought about God and spiritual things on Sundays. This was a congregation that thought highly of God and exalted His Word in their lives. This was not a congregation that cared little for their brethren, is it? This is not a congregation who cared little for those who were lost. You see, I want to imitate them. I want to give great thought to what they gave great thought to. And that's what we find here in this congregation of Thessalonica. These were not Christians who gave little thought to Jesus through the week. This is not a congregation made up of people who gave little thought to the sacrifice that he offered that they might be saved. This was not made a congregation made up of people who gave little thought to, to thanking God for salvation. Are we? Are we a congregation who does those things? Are you... A member who does those things gives little thought to the most important things of life. Collectively, are we a congregation to mimic? 
that others would do well to imitate. You see, these are things that we need to be thinking about, right? Not because we're anybody, or not because we're trying to be anybody, but because God allows us to be somebody, and we need to be thankful. These were people who understood their sin and their former conduct deserved the wrath of God, but they knew that God had delivered them from that, and they were thankful. They weren't content to be Sunday morning-only Christians. They had to be so much more. And Paul is thankful for them. And he's thankful for their working faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Paul says, I'm suffering and I'm being persecuted. I've got all this going on. But what brings me any comfort at all is to think about you and your faith. What a thought. First Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, Paul says, I'll tell you what I think about when I think about you all. Constantly in my prayers, I'm thinking about your labor of love. I'm thinking about your faithfulness. I'm also thinking about your love. Are you one who likes to work up a good sweat? Now, there's some, some men who say, huh, nope. You know, it, it sneaks up on me and I find myself sweating without trying. Sometimes that's, that happens, doesn't it? And some of you women say, well, I don't mind a sweat. I don't mind a good sweat. But I'm one who actually, and maybe I'm getting a little bit past this a little bit, but I don't mind it. I actually, you can go out and work up a good sweat. You know you've done something. You've labored. You've done something. You've put some effort into something. And it feels good to work up a good sweat from time to time. John chapter 4. Jesus is described there in verse 6 as one who has, he has walked from where he was uh, in Judea up to Samaria. In John chapter 4, you remember he has a conversation with a woman at that well in Samaria. But before you get to that verse, verse number 6 says that, that he was weary from the travel. That word weary is the same word translated labor here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You all are wearied. You're worn out from loving. Hello. You're worn out from loving. I, I am uh, appreciative, Paul says, of your labor of love. Love shows itself in laboring. Love for God is labor. Matthew chapter uh, 22, verses 37 through 40. You're commanded to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, to love your neighbor also. Labor. Work at it. You know, it's not always easy in this life to love God as you should because we have an adversary who, who wants us to get twisted sometimes in our thinking. And sometimes instead of loving God, we find ourselves asking God why we don't love as we should. And it's not always easy to love your friends. It's not always easy to love your family. It's not always easy to love your brethren. Labor. Work. Paul says, I'm thinking about you all, and I appreciate your labor of love. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10 shows this to be true. As I begin to, to uh, wrap up a little bit, at the end of verse number 3 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. I'm thankful for your enduring hope. I'm thankful for your enduring hope. I'm thankful that you are persistent in your desire coupled with expectation of going on to be with the Lord. 
He says, I'm encouraged that you have this hope that drives you through life. And and you're, you're not giving up. You are enduring. No matter what life throws at you, you are continuing on through life because of your hope of getting to the end. Of what you know is waiting for you when you get to the finish line. Be driven. Don't give up. Imitate this church. Imitate this congregation that we see before us. In chapter 2, verse 14, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, I'll tell you what I think about when I think about you, and, and I'll tell you what others would do well to imitate in you, is your willingness to suffer. Did you hear me? Your willingness to suffer. Paul says, I'm thankful for your willingness to suffer. Really? Yeah. You never promised a life of ease as a Christian. I'm sorry if that's the first time you've been informed, but it's not. You're simply not promised a life of ease as a Christian. And Paul says, I'm, I'm grateful for your willingness to endure. I'm thankful for your willingness to suffer. How willing are you will, willing to suffer? How willing are you to suffer, really? When life gets you down just a little bit, are you ready to throw in the towel? Say, ah, forget it. I'm not going to do it. How serious we need to be about this. In chapter 4, finally then, brethren, which there's a chapter (laughs) 5, but finally then, brethren, uh, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. I want to imitate a congregation that is wanting to please God. And he says in verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. What is it? It's your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, Listen to me, this is a congregation to imitate. And Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality. This is how you please God. This is the will of God. Be pure. Were these people aware of sexuality? Well, they just don't live. They didn't, they didn't live in the world that you and I live in, where, where all of this uh, sexuality is just bombarding us every day. These, these people... These people came out of idolatry. And do you know what went on at the temples of those false gods? Well, let me tell you, it would make many Americans blush. They lived in a sexual world. And they had come out of that sexual world. And Paul says, the will of God is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you stay away from that. That you keep yourself pure. Because that is of the devil and that is of the world and you are not of the world. You see, you are God's elect. You abstain from sexual morality. You keep yourself pure. You keep your body pure. You keep your mind pure. You don't be looking at impure things and you don't be doing impure things. The will of God is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, what are you going to do with that? You have the choice. You imitate. You mimic that. Or you don't. But these are things that we need to be thinking about because this was a congregation that was walking to please God. And I may say this finally. At the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, mention is made of the coming of Jesus. This is a congregation of Lord's people 
who are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. I want to mimic them. There are too many in the world today, too many in the Lord's church, who are too concerned with what's going on in the world around. I am a news junkie. I like to see what's going on. I have the news apps on my phone, and I'm checking frequently of what's happening in the world. I'm interested in what's happening in the world. But I am most interested in Jesus coming back. I want to live in eager anticipation. That's what they were doing in chapter 1 and verse 10. They were waiting for the return of Jesus with eager anticipation. And so whatever happens in this life is going to happen, my friend, but it's not going to alter my thinking about God. It's not going to alter my thinking about His Word. And I will mimic, imitate, impersonate them. And I will long for the return of Jesus. I will live with that day in mind. I will wake up thinking about it. I will think about it through the day, and I will try to go to bed thinking about it. And it will help, won't it, to eliminate some of the stress of our lives. Jesus is going to come back, and I just want to be ready when he does. I want to be part of that church, God's elect. I want to be part of that church, his beloved I want to be part of that church, his rescued. I want to be part of that church, his sanctified. I want to be part of that church, his saved. All of that depends upon my handling his word. Will you be honest with it today? And will you simply do what they did to be a part of that same church? Because whatever they did, God approved. And that will be true today. What they did, my friend, was believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. You see, they had the evidence presented from the Word of God, and they responded to it in obedience. They were willing to to repent, and I know that from verse 9 of chapter 1. I know that they turned to God from serving idols. And so they gave up sinful life to turn and, and serve God. And that's what repentance is, and that's what they were willing to do. And I know from the pages of the Bible that these were immersed in water, They were baptized, and it is there that they were forgiven of their sin. And they were added by the Lord to his church. Are you mimicking, imitating them in your life? As a Christian, do you find yourself ready for the Lord's return? As one who has not yet become a Christian, you're not prepared, my friend, for the return of Jesus. But that can all change today if you'll simply do what they did. This morning, if you need to respond, the Lord's invitation is extended. If we can help you in any way, please come now. While together we stand and sing.